Welcome in, everybody, to another episode of Scurry in the Scrub. Um, I'm Matt DeMarinas. That's my co-host, Jordan Scurry, uh, the, the headliner of Scurry in the Scrub. I'm the scrub, if you're wondering how that plays out. Um, I think they figured it out by now. Well, by you, now, just, you, just never, you just never know. You got to like keep, you know, we're still yeah, you got this, yeah. right? Yeah. You're right. You're right. You're right. On today's show, we've got uh, Creighton women's basketball head coach Jim Flannery. His season uh, wrapped up this weekend, um, so he's joining us to kind of recap it and we're going to get into some um national picture questions um but i guess first of all flan how's it going man how's how's uh how these last couple days been as you kind of try to decompress and and uh process what you just went through in terms of trying to get a team through a pandemic essentially yeah it's been it's been good i mean obviously we would have liked to won a little bit more and kept playing in the nit but the good news is as a basketball coach, when your season ends, you can sit on the couch a lot and uh, watch a lot of basketball. And this this year, probably even more so because there have been weekday games. You know, it hasn't been the, you know, kind of Thursday to Monday thing. We've had games really all the way through the week. So I've been knocking off early and going home and um, putting the remote in my hand and going from there. So, uh, so you're, um, not, you're not one of these guys who uh, goes like, goes to TV shows, you go back to basketball. Like you're, yeah, when you're, not, when, you're not, when you're not coaching basketball, you're still watching basketball for a while. Yeah. For a while. And then, you know, my postseason depression usually sets in right. Like after, you know, sometime in April after, you know, after the national championships are over and you've had, you've been able to finish off uh, March madness and, you know, kind of that in between the end of the NCAA tournament and the start of the NBA playoffs. Is when you're kind of your seasonal depression kicks in for two or three weeks. Gotcha. What's uh, who's Jackson rooting for these days? You're, you're how, how old is Jackson now? Is he Jackson's 11, fifth grader. He's wow. for whatever reason, he's still a Thunder fan. I, really? I mean, I oh, okay, it. I cannot believe it that he has uh, no players left yeah. to root for, but yeah, he's yeah, hey, shot, players shot, they shot, have. And, He's, he's hanging on their draft picks that I don't know. They got like seven first rounders in the next three years. And, um, but he keeps saying we, when it comes to the thunder, but I think he's also realistic enough to know that uh, the playoffs might be a few years away. I didn't know 11 year olds like had concepts of draft picks and like future plans. And <laughs> oh, they're like all that. in it now. Yeah. So he's locked. He's really locked in then. Huh? Okay. Got a future GM on our hands. Over well, here. He, he just knew they kept trading away all their good players. And he's like, well, they've, <laughs> <laughs> they're gonna be good sometime right yeah yeah he's gone from like he's gone from rooting for katie and russ to chris paul to now it's just like yeah future graphics. he got a kevin durant doll when he was like two and i think that's kind of the genesis of his thunder fandom is you know playing with his kevin durant doll and then all of a sudden he became a th- by you know by the time he kind of knew what was going on he's like okay i'm gonna cheer for the thunder is he going to root for the Nets in the playoffs, or what's he going to do there? Is he Ooh, just going to? I don't know. He's not a James Harden guy. <laughs> He's not a James. <laughs> but that Poor was James. The, that, was, that was the OG Thunder team, though, with James Harden. Yeah, I know. That, but he, I think he, I think he picked up on him after. When did Harden leave the Thunder originally? Like uh, it was right after that title, that or that finals yeah. run. Yeah, they traded him away. 12-ish, I don't know. Yeah. But anyway. I want to say 12, 13, yeah. Mm-hmm. But he's been out in the driveway more. I think he's been inspired by March Madness. He's been out getting out in the driveway mm-hmm. a little bit yeah. more. Getting his Weather's getting better. Getting his 3-2-1 buzzer beater game on. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
But uh, switching gears to you guys, like 10 and 12. So, you know, I know you don't like losing records. So, but I mean, you did play a tough schedule. Um, I think it was a top 50 strength of schedule at the end of the day after that. And I mean, just in the, in terms of the big East only, uh, you know, only UConn and Villanova won postseason games uh, if you don't include big East tournament. So um, like, what do you think of your season? Like, did you have a good season? Did you have a a bad season? Like, how do you how do you process it? What do you think? Yeah, I think the first of all, the fact that we had a season was was good, and <laughs> you're grateful at least that you had that. And um, as you said, to get to ten, I told our staff after we won that tenth game in the NIT, I said, "Well, thank God we got to ten wins." Because I said it'd be kind of embarrassing <laughs> if you if somebody asked you what your what your record was and you told him you made postseason without double digit wins. You're right. right. A little bit shamed. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I look at it like this. We played our best basketball at the end. And so uh, we hung together. We, we, we got better. We played young kids and we fought through, I mean, not just the COVID issues. We just had injury issues. It would have been a hard year with, a, with just the COVID, but, but throwing in the injuries to Tatum and Rachel and Carly, um, three kids who were starters at the beginning of the year for us. Uh, you know, I felt like it was, you know, I, I wouldn't call it wildly successful, but I felt, I felt pretty good about, uh, where, where we landed and just, you know, I thought, uh, you and I have talked, I think Temi had a, had just a, a really, really good senior year and, um, and, and left enough. I think she left enough of an impression that, uh, that we should be pretty optimistic about the future kind of, you know, similar to where we were last year, losing Jalen and Olivia. And um, <clears throat> so we got a lot of young kids experience and, and, and they were able to kind of uh, figure out how tough it is to win at the, at this level, but also, you know, that it is that once you figure out some of the details that, that, that you can, that they can and we can win at this level with, with, I think a, a fairly young team next year. No. So, Coach, I actually wanted to ask you, so you talk a lot about just going through your season with the COVID and injuries. And obviously, like, I haven't actually got I've – t- I've talked to m- mainly players about how this season has changed and all that. But having you here, I wanted to ask the question, how do you think it has changed and shaped you, like, as a coach? Like, what did you learn? What was your biggest takeaway from coaching through this tough, weird year where you're having to battle these injuries and also the COVID protocols. Like I know from a player's perspective, it gets frustrating. And then from a coach who you want to still have some structure and all that, how difficult was that to kind of deal with throughout the course of this year for you guys? Yeah, it was, um, I think the, I'm glad I went through it later in my career (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) because I, I've said to, I've had this conversation, like the, the, the longer you coach, the, the better you ought to be at plan B's and plan C's because you've had, you've had different things thrown at you over, over the course of your career where you've had players get hurt and players who underperformed players who overperformed and, you know, and so you, you have an appreciation for, okay, we have to, or even just within a game, Jordan, you know, like you, you know, Hey, you might have a particular ball screen defense. It's going to be your, primary but you have to have a plan b in case you're getting sliced up (laughs) and but but it's the same thing with the season as a head coach you have to you have to say okay 
if we're to be at our best, this is the case, but where are the, where are the, what happens if our point guard gets hurt? What's our, what's our backup plan? What happens if, uh, you know, if, if our, our, our wing players are, you know, don't develop or our post players don't develop or, you know, how do we, how do we manufacture, you know, points when A and B are the case. And so, I think from that standpoint, it was helpful that I'd coached a long time just because I felt like this was playing C, D, E, F, G a lot of times. You're asking, okay, who's available on practice today? And, you know, so-and-so's out for how many, you know, how long? And and uh, as you know, when you get to January and February, you spend the bulk of your practice time preparing for opponents. I mean, you do some skill work and you're you're working on your stuff too, but like, it became more the case that we just had to work on ourselves because we were reintegrating a player. We were losing a player. We were reintegrating another player, <laughs> losing a player. And, and so it, it became more about us and, and probably less about our opponent in January and February than normal. Um, and there, there, there's some value in that too, because I felt like it, it did help us get better and play our best at the end of the year. And, um, uh, but yeah, it was a challenge. But I, I think the fact that I've coached a long time, it's it's easier to be level-headed about ups and downs, and and just working through, like you said, uh, players being out because of COVID issues or being out because of uh, injury issues. How much uh, easier did it make you? Did it make your job in terms of navigating that, having someone like Temi kind of take the reins and? keep things organized and not not only that but i mean i think if you go back to that win at depaul on the road um i think she averaged like 17 over the last like nine games of the year shot 50 percent from three um i mean she played her the she played the best basketball of her career at the end of her career like how much uh did that just help you guys finish on the on the on the positive end of this thing because your best player played her best down the stretch. Yeah, and and a lot of that is because she was available all the time to practice and and to your point, we we had to probably put in, I mean, we 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 run a lot of motion offense, but we had to put in stuff because she was the one who was always available <laughs> and healthy and um yeah, and she played her best basketball. I mean, I think that's what's what's really admirable about the year she has had was that I don't think I expected her really to score the way she did the last two years of her career, but she, she did it and she did it at five, seven. And, you know, so I, I, I'm, I'm amazed in, in some ways. And the other thing, because you're a stat geek, Matt, that, you know, like she was Timmy, Timmy's first few years, her, you know, her shot attempts were close to 50-50, about, about, she shot about 50% of her attempts were threes. And this year, less than a third of them were threes. And what does that mean? That means she didn't have as many people getting her shots. I mean, she wasn't able to, <laughs> she didn't get open threes like she had when she played with Jalen and Olivia and Tatum and a healthy Tatum. So she was having to put the ball on the floor and shoot pull-ups and tough, tough shots in the lane because she wasn't surrounded by as, as, as veteran a team, as, as good a passing team, to be honest. And so 
I mean, just when I looked at her three-point numbers, you know, her numbers overall the other day, and I said, God, she only, you know, less than a third of her attempts were threes, which for five seven is is <clears throat> is pretty <laughs> pretty impressive. When, like I said, over the course of her career, about half of her attempts were threes. When uh, um, when you try to like. I don't know if you think about this or not. Like when the season's coming to an end, do you think about the players that are ending their careers? And I don't know how much uh, you're going to miss them, I guess. Like, does that enter your mind at all? Or do you not even think about that till the season's over? Because it, it, it was like that with, every, it's almost like that with every special senior class, right? It felt like <laughs> losing like Jalen and Liv, it was going to be hard to replace Jalen and Liv because what they did was so unique. But then, like, here we are down the stretch now, and I'm watching Temi just play her ass off and finish on such a high note, and I'm like, man, that's going to be tough to replace. Same thing with MC. When MC made the run in Chicago, you know, when she just went bananas, it's like, and then you guys lost her, you know, before conference play even started the next year. It's like, how do you replace that? And then you guys won the league that year. So it's like, do you think about that stuff at all? Do, do you Do you find yourself, like, you know, not not using as wide a perspective and and then on top of it like what does Temi mean to you as a program or like what do you what do you what's going to be hard to replace about her yeah I think you you do I mean I at least I do I because you're <laughs> you just appreciate what they what they give you and you're you know as a coach you're always kind of looking forward to I mean you're you're in the moment and you're in the season but you're also you know like you have assistant coaches telling you you need to call this recruit. And so, you know, you're also thinking about next year and how the program spins forward. And so you're, mm. you're constantly made to reflect about what it's going to be like without Jalen and Liv or without Tammy. And, um, and yeah, I just think, you know, first of all, her defense, what she does defensively, we always start out by saying, Hey, Tammy's got their best player. <laughs> it's kind of like last year with Jalen. Hey, J- you know, not only does Jalen, give us 21 a game, but, you know, we always start how we're going to defend with, well, how can we util- best utilize Jalen? How can we best utilize Temi defensively? So those are things that you're thinking about, but yeah, I, you absolutely do. Um, and you, and you tell them that too. I don't wait until senior day usually to, to kind of, I'll usually try to throw in before practice a couple times in February, you know, Hey, like we got to, we got to make sure that we're honoring our seniors by giving the best that we can over these next four or five weeks so that, so that we can send them out. Right. And just to kind of put a little bit more on the underclassmen to, to understand that, yeah, they may have three years left or two years left, but um, just to kind of value that, because if, if, if they can get a freshman or a sophomore who's playing into the gym a little bit more, so you can win that one more game for that senior, that, you know, those, those things are, are, are important. And, and you want your seniors to, 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 to hear that more, like I said, more than just on senior day. Mm-hmm. You kind of talked about a lot how Temi was like a leader and I've heard it and I've read it many times. How you even said she sets the tone, sets the pace and all that. But I think a lot of this year, what was tough just about leaders. And I think about my, role on our creating teams and how a lot of the stuff that a lot of my impact was off the court right and just like conversations with guys and being able to lead off the court too 
how difficult do you think it was this year for like leaders of your team like Temi to try to lead off the court where sometimes you like you just said sometimes you want to pull somebody into the gym but with all these COVID restrictions and all that like sometimes you you can't even like I've heard times now you can't even go to the gym with another person sometimes so how difficult was that do you think to navigate for the leaders of your team yeah I think it was tough I think it was hard you know Tatum's a really good Tatum probably has a little bit softer side than Temi's great on the court and she's a good leader in some ways but Tatum's got that um softer side where I think she was a good ear for those people who were struggling a little and and, you know we were all struggling a little at some points this year I just definitely we're doing we're doing player meetings this week and I just said everybody's got scars from this year some are deeper and some have more but I said we all have scars because this has not been a has not been a the year that we wanted it to be and so I think to your point, Jordan, it's it's it, that part was even probably harder because you you have a little less interaction off the court and and even even then you're masked and it's just it's like you said there are you're going through these protocols to be together and sometimes it's not worth going through all the protocols to do that. Sure. Hey, I'm just going to hang out in my room because that's just the easiest thing. And so I think that was probably a major challenge. And I just I. You know, we talk, we've talked as a staff that, you know, there were times where we probably dropped the ball as far as just being as um, intentional about making leadership prominent this year because there, there, there were so many barriers that, that, that our players were going through. And, you know, how can we learn and get better at that? And um, because I think that that was just a, a greater challenge than, than normal. I know you've got some, we got a short time here, so I want to try to knock these uh, topics out. Uh, the, the, I want to switch gears a little bit to um, a little bit wider perspective of the women's game in general. I mean, you saw this year the WNBA had record numbers in terms of viewership and, and um, following, especially because of social media and how outspoken they were this summer um, with all the social issues going on. Uh, I wonder, like, when you saw a situation like the weight room disparity between the men's tournament and the women's tournament, are you surprised by that stuff anymore? Are you numb to it at this point? Or do you just, like, feel almost like, really, is this – why is this still – why is this still happening in an era where there's so much um, awareness to the fact that it is wrong and it shouldn't be happening anymore? Like, how do you – where do you land on it when you see a situation like that? Because you've been in this game now for, you know – what three decades now? So like, <laughs> uh, <laughs> but I mean, yeah. you've seen a lot of the disparity between, you know, the the haves and the have-nots, and and where do you what what goes through your mind when you see it come to, you know, come to the yeah. front? Well, first of all, I think some things are worse than others. I think it's, I think, I think we do pile on. Sometimes we take one thing and we make it, or or two or three, and we make it about everything, but yeah, the weight room thing is indefensible in my opinion. Like that's because we talked about that at our conference level. Hey, because we're going to be at our conference tournaments for, you know, five, six days. If we, you know, if you keep winning and advancing, so we need a workout area for players who are rehabbing and, you know, coaches who want to, who want to go get on a walk on a treadmill for a little bit or, you know, so to me, the fact that they, 
assume that, you know, some of those teams are going to be there for three weeks to assume that they're right. not going to have right. an opportunity to, to work out or the players who aren't getting to play or like, like we said, players who are rehabbing an injury, the, that to me was indefensible. Um, some of the other stuff I think is potentially a little bit overblown because I don't know. It's hard to know on the ground in San Antonio. Do they have the, do they have the leadership in place that Indianapolis does? Because I, somebody was saying, you know, Hey, Indy, <laughs> nobody does amateur sports better than Indy. Nobody has more experience doing it. Nobody's done it more and better than Indy. So some of that stuff falls on probably the fact that San Antonio just isn't is is nimble in terms of putting that together. And I, I think we made a mistake as far as like we waited a little too long to even announce it's, you know, commit to San Antonio. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I think I think that was because we had been hearing rumblings about, you know, even before the men announced Indianapolis, they were saying, well, it's either San Antonio or Boston, Jordan. Um, as far as the women's final, you know, I'm sorry, the the entire women's tournament, they were throwing out Boston as a potential site and then they settled on San Antonio. But so I think part of it was they waited a little too long. So they dropped the ball on maybe some things like, could the court look better? Yeah. But I think the weight room thing is, is completely indefensible. And I think the, um, I think it's great though, that, you know, you've seen, so many men's players and NBA players who've taken up and because as you're talking about the WNBA, I mean, you know, Kobe's presence with the WNBA was a huge boost for that league. And, you know, in terms of legitimizing it, it's one thing for Sue Bird and Megan Rapinoe to, to cry out for equality. But I think when you, when you, when you elicit men and have men who are strong voices who legitimize women's sports that that matters too. And, and so, I mean, I think it's, I think it's good, but I also think it's, you know, we're also now at the point where we, we seem to pile on and um, because the fact is the, you know, the woman who's running that part of it is Lynn, you know, there's a woman, Lynn Holtzman, who's in charge of (laughs) making sure that that doesn't happen. So it's easy to criticize the NCAA, but you know, there's a woman who is the Dan Gavitt on the women's side mm-hmm. whose job was it was to make sure that that weight room didn't look like that. And so. And I think I think you're right about the piling on part. And I, but I, I think the way the way, way where it comes from is the fact that. You know, the, the weight room thing was exposed prior to the tournament starting. So it was like yeah. and then everybody was like, I mean it was kind of your reaction. It's like, are you kidding me? Like, where would you, why would, why would it enter your mind in terms of planning to think that that was sufficient for an entire, not just one, like it's not a little pod. The whole tournament is here. You know what I mean? Like that was the whole shebang. It's not like four teams in Omaha get one little weight bench. It was like, that was like the whole 64. Um, Then the tournament starts and you see the other ways that, that, that it's just not as big of a deal, right? Like the other things that yeah. are falling short and you're like, okay, do you care about anything? Like even from an imaging standpoint, you just slap women's mm-hmm. basketball on the court and it's just like, it's That's just what killed plan. Me. So that was the thing. It was like, is there any part of this that you, that there was like, there was pride taken in terms of planning and organization, but it goes to your point about saying they didn't even like, they didn't even have the, 
the ducks in a row for San Antonio the whole time. Like it took too long to do that even probably because they didn't know if they were going to have one, I assume, but you know, yeah. when, you're, when you're operating in this type of year, but yeah, I don't, I don't know, know if you and I have talked about this before, Matt, but like, I've, I've always felt like we should, we've done this a little bit, but on the women's side, like, I think we should move our tournament. If we, I'd, I'd be a proponent of moving our tournament a week or two so that it doesn't just go head to head with the men's. I agree. Because I feel like I it's, agree. I feel like it's just we're it's overshadowed. And yeah, there were, you know, the men's games, the, you know, second round was over early in the week. So there were only women's games on the last couple of days, but even as a basketball junkie, <laughs> there's, there's a little bit of me that's like, okay, do I want to sit, you know, do I want to watch four women's games today? Whereas if it was two weeks later, I think, I think we, I think we've missed an opportunity there. Go ahead, I Jordan. I know I you want to, I know I completely agree just because I, I think about what's so fun about March Madness is like these when you think about the Cinderella's and like the underdogs and the storylines, you love following the teams. Right. And I yeah. think giving it that two week gap, then you can get more invested in these women's teams like the like last night. I'm getting all wrapped up in just like the uh, Texas A&M and all these games like it, it's more fun when you're following from the beginning. And you're like, oh, I've been following this team that made this run instead of just in between the men's tournament i'm watching a little bit of women's and then when the men's one ends and the championships are coming around we've watched both at the same i think it's better to i think it would be well suited to highlight them better but again like you alluded, like this year has been weird so i think it might have had a lot to do with that too so i don't know i hope there is change soon with it though i think well i mean i think one one area that one opportunity, major opportunity that the women have right now is this matchup on Saturday. Um, mm -hmm. Like Paige Beckers and Caitlin Clark. Like, first of all, I don't know who determines the like Naismith and Wooden finalists. Like I know it's voters in some regard, but like, I'm just saying I got, I got a Naismith ballot. I know Caitlin Clark was one of my finalists, but when I got it back to choose of the final four, she wasn't on it. And I'm just like, all right. You got a kid that's literally leading the country in scoring and is second in assists as a true freshman in a big, in the big 10 conference. Like if you tell me like, just go to the men's side and I know we should probably stop comparing this at some point, but if you're telling me I would assume from Illinois leads the country in scoring and is second in assists, and he's not the runaway player of the year in the nation. I'm like, there's no argument for that. Like that, that player would be the shoe in, National player of the year. Absolutely. There wouldn't even be a discussion. But Caitlin Clark isn't even a finalist for this thing. And it blows my mind that she can walk through the Big Ten Conference putting up those type of numbers when they have – they've got Iowa who walked into the Sweet 16, walked into the Sweet 16. Michigan who walked into the Sweet 16. Uh, Indiana rolled through the first weekend. Uh, Maryland rolled through the first – that's a legitimate league. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So she cooked Very it. She, 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 she torched it all year as a true freshman. And she's not a finalist. So that's why I'm so excited for this matchup because it's almost like it's almost like she's been under the radar as a stud. And now she gets Paige Beckers, that one-on-one -on -one matchup. You know what I mean? They both play the same position. I'm so stoked for that thing. I wonder, like – and you guys recruited Caitlin, so you have a relationship with her because her, her cousin obviously was – is Audrey Faber, so she was a stud for you guys. Like, how do you – are you excited for this matchup? Like, are, are you – is it get your blood boiling when you see um, – that I'm they're going to go head to head. Are you hyped as we are right now? Or are we going over the top? <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah, are we blowing this out of yeah. Over the top is kind of what we do though. So that's kind of, our I think it'll be fun. I think, I think you're, you're right. Caitlin is, 
she's kind of must watch because she's and she's a high risk player too. So she's she's gonna turn the ball over, but she's gonna make you know some insane plays too, and she's gonna take some shots that you think, God, that's not a good shot, but it's gonna go in like three times in a row. <laughs> um, well, Paige is not you know Paige is not as risky. I mean, as a passer, she can be. Mm-hmm. You know, she's surrounded by a little better players, obviously, Paige is. So, um, and Paige is not, you know, she's not naturally as as comfortable scoring the ball. Like, I feel like she, you know, because we watched her, she's a Minnesota kid, we watched her play quite a bit because um, we were recruiting kids on our team, not Paige. We kind of knew that that wasn't going to happen. But, uh, you know, but she's more of a natural pass first point guard, whereas Caitlin is, um, is a really good, really good scorer who also passes really well is kind of how I would, um, characterize her. But the thing that's impressive about Paige is that she's, she's scored the ball more because I think they've needed her to score the ball more. And she's been able to make that adjustment as a freshman and, um, and become a really good three point shooter, which she was, a, a moderately reluctant three point shooter in high school because she could get to the rim so easily. And she was such a good passer. She didn't shoot a lot of threes. And yet now at the college game, she's done that. And, and Caitlin, I knew would be good um, as a freshman, but I didn't, I, I'll be honest. I didn't think she would be this impactful. I think, first of all, she plays on a team that where, you know, they are, uh, Iowa always is a very good offensive team. They were, they're a great spacing team. And so she's, I knew she'd be good, but I didn't think she'd be this good. And and her numbers are a little large because of the the pace that they play. Yeah. Um, so I do think there's a little bit of a, you know, up and down component. But 27 points is still 27 points. I don't care if you're playing fast. That's still. Right. I mean, that's still a lot of points. So, um, yeah, I think it'll be a, a. I think it'll be an entertaining game. I don't know if Iowa can guard. UConn well enough to keep it close for four quarters. I mean, maybe if UConn doesn't, I mean, I would expect Iowa to play a lot of zone or have to trick it up a little bit because I don't think they can guard them um, without being a little gimmicky Mm -hmm. or at least playing zone. And they're going to have to hope that UConn doesn't shoot a great because I think, um, I think Iowa will present some challenges defensively for UConn, but um, the other thing is I think UConn will rotate defenders on Caitlin. I think they'll put – they've got really a um, couple of different people that they could put on her. And if, if Mule, the, yeah, the freshman guard, right. plays, yeah. if she plays, I think they'll put, our, put her on her. And so I think they'll – I think they'll be – they'll rotate people on her. And, uh, you know, so I think it'll be interesting. And, and, and the, I will say UConn got better defensively over the course of the season. When we played, I know we didn't score very many points against them when we played them in December, but that was because we missed open shots. Whereas right. I feel like the longer I've seen them, the more I've, they've gotten better defensively. And so I think they'll, I was going to have to take care of the ball. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, Caitlin can't be at eight, eight or nine turnovers. She's got to be at four or five. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, do you think this, the matchup is going to be tough. Like it, it, it could get sideways on Iowa if Caitlin isn't. I mean, even if Caitlin's special, she it might get sideways because of how good UConn is on the defensive end of the floor, especially inside too. Like, you know, it's going to be really hard for Iowa as much as they do it to score inside on, you know, Olivia Nelson Adoto and Aaliyah Williams and um, Aaliyah Edwards, excuse me. Um, 
But do you think this is like for they're on ABC, they're on Saturday. It's an you know uh, you know an afternoon tip off. Like Paige Caitlin, does this does it, is this like are you are you watching this to see how much uh, um, how many eyeballs this thing generates in terms of what the women's game can possibly grow into if if the WNBA uptick filters down into the women's game and you know they start marketing their stars a little bit better at that level. Yeah, I think they've done a great job. I mean, you know, Caitlin's gotten a lot of attention in the last week, and and uh, and so is Paige. I mean, I think I think the women's game does a good job of of hyping the the top. I, as somebody who's not hasn't always been at the top, I wish they'd do a little bit better job of sure. making their way down the 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 pole a little bit. But I think I think we've always done a good job, or for the most part, we've done a good job over the last decade or two of, of, uh, highlighting the best that we have. I just think it's sometimes it's, we, we, we get too, you know, the Yukon train, you know, is, is hyped, but we don't necessarily get it as far down in the weeds or, you know, as we could. So, um, but I think it, I think it's great. It's on ABC. I mean, it's, it's, I think it's going to be, I think it's going to be fun to watch and, uh, you know, I think uh, um, for the sport, you know, the fact that those two are only freshmen is that that can only help us too. For sure. Yeah, I can't wait. Jordan's yeah, hype too. It's going to be hype. I'm ready. <laughs> I got my popcorn ready. <laughs> That's what I mean too. Like this is a popcorn matchup because they they are both so dynamic with the ball in their hands. I mean, but I think it's what makes Caitlin like we talked about just the turnovers, though. I think that's even I think that's what makes her like we talked about how just she like is I mean, Paige is more of a pass first. I think Caitlin's more exciting to watch just because she will make a she'll mm-hmm. make like that mistake that all of us have made before. And we're like, OK, we got to make up. You, I got to make up for this. And then she will actually make up for it. Yes. Like, three yeah. times over. And so it's going to be I'm, I'm excited for that reason. That's what I'm saying too. Like about Caitlin, it's like you see. Uh, I think the 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 common um, the common advice to a player who makes is mistake prone is like have a short memory about it. But like yeah. with Caitlin, it's let like the it, game. Let the they tell you. Yeah. Let the game come to you. Let the get. Go right. get it. Yeah, Caitlin is <laughs> Caitlin. Yes, Caitlin is the kind of kid who makes a mistake and gets mad at herself and goes and corrects it like in an absurdly legendary way. Like if she turn, if she misses a a cutter and throws the ball out of bounds, she's gonna come up and uh, like knock down a twenty seven footer off the dribble on the next possession. Like that's the kind of switch she has. She's like, all right, I'm gonna make up for that in a in an epic way here on this next possession. And I know as like a coach, Flan's like probably cringy yeah. it's like yeah you're gonna make mistakes worse in that situation but she's so good she's got like that steph curry switch like yeah. steph would do some crazy stuff and he'll like he'll go behind his back to try to hit clay in the corner and hit a fan in the face with it you know what i mean but then he'll come down and like pull from the logo on the next possession just in case you forgot kind of thing that's what caitlin does like she'll make mistakes but then she'll come back and make you forget about it not make her forget about it so that's the I, I'm so excited for this matchup because of that because mm-hmm. that's when I know they're wired like that I know that they're gonna go at it so like I, mm-hmm. I you know that they're both killers so I'm like yes give me two ball dominant killers that are like skilled <laughs> as hell actually one-on-one. that can control the game yes yes that's what I'm saying so I can't wait for this matchup um yeah. 
Let's get into uh, this Gonzaga matchup a little bit here yeah. uh, for Sunday. The second matchup of the weekend. The second matchup of the weekend, right. Uh, I was just – I don't know how much you've been able to watch of them because obviously you've been in your own season, but what stands out to you about the things that Gonzaga does so well to put themselves in position here to be undefeated and have a chance to actually do something that hasn't been done in about, what, 40 years? Is it 50 years? When was the last time? Indiana was – 76. Yeah, 50 years almost. 76. 76, um, yeah. Uh, first of all, do you remember that at all, Flynn? Do you remember the 76? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Scott May, Quinn Buckner. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Okay, good. Uh, Beat Michigan in the title game. Nice. How old were you? Big 10, Big 10. 80 to 62, I think it was. Wow. Wow. So it wasn't even like I could be wrong, but <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm sure I watched it. Those yeah. old school Indiana warm-ups, you know. For sure. Mm-hmm. Pinstripes. New school, yeah. too. Exactly. The same ones yeah. they still have. Yeah. Um, I brought them back. When you, I don't know how much you've seen of this Gonzaga team, but like, what's what stands out to you in terms of what makes them so like that that good, like that level good? Yeah, I think they're uh, again. I've I see them a lot late at night where I can't stay up for the whole game, and I don't really need to because they've already carved out. <laughs> yeah, they put it away. Least, so like, Gonzaga basketball. Second half, but uh, they're balanced, just like they always are. I think they're a little better defensively. I mean, I don't know what you guys think, but I mean, I think Suggs defensively um, gives them, you know, somebody, and then just, uh, you know, they're they're mobile. Um, I think Timmy is, he's deceptive. He's like, um, I'm worried about foul trouble. I think because his body is just different, not. Um, you know, he and so I think you know from. I don't know what the the differential will be between him and Christian, but I feel like that's something that I I think we have to kind of hold our own um, in the post. I would expect them to go inside, especially and and you know Ryan is young enough and not so even though he's got more length than Christian, it's you know strength and inexperience. So I think that matchup is going to be something to watch. But I think that you know. Just the game that we played with them in uh, whatever, three years ago I went to. And, I mean, you look up and it's 70 to 70-ish, you know, with 10 minutes to go in the game. And you're like, God, we're right there. And then all of a sudden it's 82 to 70. And it's and you're not going to stop them enough to overcome that 10 or 12-point lead. So I think that's the, that's the thing. You know, I watched a decent amount of their Oklahoma game. And it's like, you know, Oklahoma hung in there, hung in there. But um, – well, you just got to keep scoring to to stay with them, and that's that's tough to do. But you know, I think if look, the thing is, if we make shots and the game gets in the second half, it's an NCAA tournament game. If it's if it's close with 13, 12 minutes to go, ten minutes to go, even even fifteen minutes to go, you never know how pressure affects those you know twenty to twenty two year olds. And but I do think we've got to we obviously have to maintain. Um, you know, we can't let them get too much separation where they can play comfortable and, and, and loose and from ahead. So, um, but yeah, I think it'll be, it'll be great to watch. I think we can score on them. I just, I think it's going to be a question of, can we get it to that point in the second half where the pressure of their, of the season that they've had kind of affects them a little bit. I just like 
you're so right about their spurt ability too, because I think I was watching their BYU game from the WCC championship last night. Yeah. And uh, first of all, BYU hung 53 on them in the first half and they lost by 10. Yeah. <laughs> I just don't, I don't, and, and Creighton did someone, Jordan knows the last time you guys played them 48, 41 at halftime and you get up 62 in the second half. That's just like what they do. Uh they are one of the best halftime adjustment teams because I, I even talked about it before on this podcast. Like, I, I've i never seen someone as surgical as Zach Norvell when he came to Omaha because in the first half, I was – I, like, remember saying so many times, I'm like, oh, we're, like, we got his number. We're in his head. Nope. He was just picking his spots. Like, he was seeing where he could get his shots from that he was going to, like, kill in the second half. And so I think knowing that, like, going into this one it's like don't let any of them even like none of them can even try to get comfortable in the first half because it's like if they get if they're certainly trying to get comfortable in the first half it's just setting up for that second half this is what they're really going to turn when they're really going to turn it on they they like feel you out in the first half in close games and then just put it on you in the second half so yeah it's really going to be just about keeping that close keeping it within striking distance and then going for the kill late game but it's just like flan said you got to score to beat them like yeah, you can, you can have the greatest defensive game plan in the world in terms of what you feel like you want to take away from them, but at the end of the day, you have to score to beat that team. Like that's absolutely, just, you know what I mean. It's just, that's what it's going to come down to. It's just I, the BYU game. Like the, it was like I'm trying to. Th- it was like uh, 68-61 with like eight minutes left. Remember, this is the game they won by ten. Mm-hmm. There's eight yeah. minutes left. They're still minus seven on the board. Like the the way they can just put they scored I think they outscored them twenty seven to nine to end the end the game in the eight minutes eight minutes yeah. crazy that's I mean that's just not there's there are very few teams in the country that can pull off that type yeah. of that type of barrage and for them it just comes naturally because it's not even it wasn't even within all the time within the flow of an offensive structure sometimes Jalen Suggs is just like. He saw his man go under a ball screen on back-to-back possessions, which is what you're supposed to do with him because he's not, you know, he's more dangerous downhill than he is on the yep. on the perimeter. So, you know, his defender went under the ball screen two times in a row and he pulled up from two feet behind the line and cashed both of them. And then Gonzaga's – now, now they're hyped up because the man that doesn't usually um, go back-to-back from the three line got two in a row to swish. Now you got to worry about Kispert. Now you got to worry about Timmy inside and, like, it just snowballs on you. That's they have that crazy. They're like Flynn said. They're the way they can do that to you in, in spurt ability. You you no, can't you no can't beat them on the defensive end. You can you can make a play or two on that end that might help that might help you win at the end of the day. But the way you win that game is on the offensive side of the ball. Yeah. All right, guys. I got to break in here. Flan has got to go to his next meeting, so I apologize, but I got to get him off. No, we appreciate it. Flan, thank you for your time. Yeah. I know we went through a wide range of topics here, but I always like picking your brain on stuff. So, No, that was great. I appreciate it. And um, hopefully, uh, you know, we can celebrate a victory Sunday and get another one on Tuesday, right? For sure, yeah. Just keep it rolling. Yeah. Take down the West – take down the entire West Coast. Right? <laughs> it is. It is like <laughs> a West Coast bracket and then little old Creighton sitting there. It's <laughs> like, you know, there have been rumors out there that Gonzaga is going to join the Big East. We might as well <laughs> – Right. If we beat them and, you know, maybe they'll, maybe they'll join. So anyway, yeah. Appreciate talking hoops with you guys. For sure. Thanks. Awesome. For- Thanks, Blaine. Thank you. Uh, yeah. So man, that Gonzaga matchup is going to be wild. Like it's what do you, really what, wild. 
I mean, you 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 agree, right? Like, it's it's on the offensive end on set on Sunday. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like, you're they're not gonna have to put up. But they're gonna have to go crazy. And like what I even what I was just saying, right? About like how they are so strategic in the first half. That's where Crane has to just be like, we have to come out like crazy and just try to get as much separation in this first half as possible. Like, and just shock them. Like, just shock yeah. them right out the gate and then be like, oh, wait, they're up 20? Like, what just happened? Mm-hmm. And, spe- and then, and, but I say this and then I worry about Creighton with leads. Like, Creighton is like the last team I like kind of want to have a lead because I want them to just keep it close and then get the lead at the end because that works a little bit better for this team. But I think with this game, it's going to have to be create as much separation as possible because in the second half, you know it's coming. So if you can just put that, I guess, barrier up of like yeah, a that's interesting. good cushion of a lead, they'll be all right. But it's going to be tough, so you man. Think, you think not you... a team that lets up points in bunches. Yeah, so don't. you think because of Gonzaga's spurt ability that Creighton needs to put a lead together early? Because I was wondering – oh, here's what I, I was wondering. Be... Here's what I was wondering for you, like – what if Creighton just hangs around and keeps up pace and like is, is going shot for shot with them and like making big plays that don't let Gonzaga get away. And then in the last five minutes, it's just like, who can make the biggest shots? Like, is that a, see, that's what I was thinking. That's what I was thinking was the recipe. Uh-huh. But now I'm almost, I actually know, I guess I will say, I think that's more the recipe to success than creating that cushion because I guess at the end of the day, I just outed myself, but I just don't trust this team as much with like a big lead yeah, just at yeah. halftime. And just in my experience, our, I think that was what my junior year a lot. Like we didn't, we were the worst like team with a lead going into like the last eight minutes like yeah. in the league at one point. So I, I just think, yeah, this team, keep it close. And hopefully instead of Gonzaga hitting their spurt late game, Creighton can put That's a string like, yeah. together. Yeah. Right, because like as much as yeah. we talk about Gonzaga's spurt ability, Creighton has it too. Yes, we so, we we yeah. hit on that like week three. I swear. Right, right. So that's the what I kind of wonder. Like, if I'm trying to think, you know, if if you get a game where it's just it's neither team can get away from each other, it's just, and then it comes down to crunch time. That under four timeout. All right, coming out of here, who's got mm-hmm. three? Who's got three of their best possessions of the game right here? Like, who's got that? I kind of feel like that might be Creighton's way to do it because it, it does go to what you say about protecting the lead. It's it's you'll put the you'll give Gonzaga the edge if you do that. I think it's, it's true. Different. You don't. It's I different agree. if it's like an Oregon I Iowa I thing. If like or if you're like if you're getting constant runouts and they're not really yeah. stopping you, yeah. you can kind of like make them quit. But mm-hmm. I just don't think Gonzaga is gonna be like Iowa. I think they're always gonna be like I agree. We're, we're a couple minutes away, so I think if you're Creighton kinda- stays in it. It, uh, uh, let's just say this. If Creighton builds a lead, I think they're going to get naturally complacent and Gonzaga will play with a crazy edge. And once Gonzaga snatches the momentum in that situation, Creighton can't take it back from them. So that that's just the way Gonzaga's wired. So I think for Creighton's best chance, it's almost like just go punch for punch the whole way. And when it gets to round 15, like Rocky too, then you just yeah. go, then you don't, just go don't, balls don't out and the, like go for the knockout. You know what I'm saying? Don't throw the best punch in the first half. Exactly. Yeah. Just stay there. Just I stay in the fight. That. Stay in the fight. Let them know you're not going away. And then when you get to that, you know, last but five the, minutes or under four timeout, then 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 let let the haymakers fly. Like because the, then, then your season's on the line. You can play with the same edge that Gonzaga would true, try to chase you true, down. You know what I mean? True. Yeah. But the only reason that makes me nervous is if Gonzaga comes out and throws their best punch. 
I know, I know. But I mean, they—that's what I mean. Gonzaga's so good; they can throw, they can throw effective stuff at you, and it, it won't even have to be their best. That's what I mean. Like Gonzaga yeah. can beat Creighton on Sunday without playing their best. Yeah, Creighton can't beat Gonzaga on Sunday without playing their best. I, I believe. Agreed. I don't. I don't believe Agreed. Creighton's like a minus game beats Gonzaga. I Do agree. You? Okay. I no, I agree with that completely. Yeah. So that's what I mean. I think they just got. I think they just got to convince themselves they can beat this team for like. 20 to 30 minutes and then put him away. Do you think Hinkle's going to have to do with this game at all? I don't both teams play, I, honestly, I, I I don't know. They changed the rooms up. So I think both teams played a played, played pretty well at Hinkle, but I think if Hinkle magic fa- favors anyone, it's always the underdog. Like that's not even, that's never a debate. Right. And Gonzaga went in there. When was, what was Gonzaga range when they went into Hinkle to play Butler and Roosevelt Jones hit the game winner? Weren't they top five at the time? So they've they've get they've had their oh, heart yeah. broken. Put, put that bad juju back out in the universe. Let's go find that. Yeah, can we, let's, can we let's get that. <laughs> we we got to we sure. resurface that when we get yeah. off this. We'll resurface that. It was I think it was the year before the Zags went to the Big East, like before the right the year before the switch. Like they beat them at Hinkle. So Gonzaga has been on the wrong end of Hinkle magic before. So oh, I like that. Yeah, I like that. That's yeah. good. Yeah. So I don't know. Like I, I nah. just yeah. I think I think Creighton looks awfully comfortable playing at Hinkle. I did not want to say it last. Oh, I mean, I kind of said the last game that they mm-hmm. looked very comfortable there, but it looks like a place that they played before. Well, I think it's and more I think comfortable. That'll... It's probably more comfortable playing someone other than Butler there, right? Oh, definitely. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Anybody other than it was than probably Butler. a re- it was probably a relief. <laughs> like, oh shit. But it's also but it's also nice playing. They it must have been nice playing a school like Ohio, who's definitely never played in a barn like Hinkle. So. Mm-hmm. So yeah, yeah, dude. I don't know. Like, I love this. I love this matchup because I think Creighton can score with them. It's all about. I here's. I do I, too. I should, I should say. I should say this. I think Creighton's gonna get the shots it wants. I don't it, hitting is hitting is one thing. Like you, you mm. just never know if it's gonna if it's mm. your day or not. I do think Mitch Denzel, DJ Christian, and Marcus all have to be on today or on Sunday. Yeah, like all five yeah. have to be hitting. Damn, today you need him to be on today. No, I mean, yeah, if they, yeah. Let's just start it today and like ride the wave. Um, but I, I just watching the. I think the BYU matchup is the most similar in terms of pace and shooting yeah. prowess. They, you know, Bit, Bishop Christian is not like Matt Harms, where he's like no. a back to the basket seven footer, but he is a he. Harms was a problem for Gonzaga, and Christian will be too in different ways. Um, but I think Creighton's going to get good shots because I don't think Gonzaga's. No, I, I, I don't think Gonzaga's ball screen defense is like, you know, they load to the ball. So Creighton Marcus is so good at flipping the floor, and those guys are so good at playing on the weak side and finding those spots on the corner in the wing. Like Creighton's going to get open shots. I think. I think they will. I just. I if agree. They, if they hit I them, think they'll, they'll get open game. shots, especially in just watching the BYU game because, uh, like BYU doesn't even have the kind of athletes Creighton had, and you can mm-hmm. see their game plan was just to get certain shots by ball movement, penetrate yes. kick and Creighton has the athletes and has Marcus who can control the tempo of offense to make sure they're getting those shots. Right. Yes. And I think that has a lot to do with it. So I think they'll get the shots. I just got to really capitalize. And I think it's again in the first half knowing like just, just seeing it too. So, right. Like it's not, it's like, even just like I was talking about the Zach Norvell thing, it's like seeing those shots that you're going to have in the first half and being like, okay, this is how they're guarding me. And it just, like seeing all of that, like especially yeah. for a Denzel and a Marcus. Like I think, I, just, I think Marcus is the, huge. I think Marcus is the best point guard they faced all year. Yep. So they they beat well, you know you know 
I think he's better than what Virginia has. I think he's better than Bohannon yeah. at Iowa. Yeah, yeah. Um, so he's the best. So that's from that standpoint, Gonzaga's facing something new. He's the best point guard they faced all year. So give me your. How I do think, you think I think Mitch. I think Mitch is the best range shooter they faced all year, and I think DJ is the best slasher they faced all year. Like the best three level slasher because he can. So see. How you think? Break me down how that matchup goes in your head right now. Wh- which Marcus one? And, Mar- Marcus, Marcus and Suggs. Suggs. Marcus and Suggs. Yeah. Well, like I said, Suggs was playing horrifically against BYU, and then all of a sudden he cashed three straight stupid threes mm-hmm. where it's like, mm-hmm. why are you shooting that? And then it's a straight catch. So he's got he's, – he's super talented, and when he is like – when he's showing off the high-end version of that skill, of those skills, um, he's impossible to stop at this level. Like he just is. There's, Creighton doesn't have anybody who can stop him if he's on. Um, he's so dynamic going downhill. He's got great elevation at getting to the rim and finishing. Um, his handles are good. He's good at getting to that pull up, but from a point guard standpoint, he doesn't, he doesn't change pace like Marcus does. I don't think, I don't even think it's comparable. Like he's one, he's a one speed player. Like he's, he's when he's on, he's, he's the pedals to the floor. Marcus he's more can, of a transition point guard, would you agree? Yeah, yeah, 100%. 100% he's yeah. more of like the modern-day point guard where it's like a get-out-and-go. Yeah, open, the, open the floor up, give that guy driving lanes, yes. Where Marcus yeah. is more of the half-court. Yeah, okay. Marcus can, can walk the ball up and can go through – can navigate ball screens, can read defenses, can play at different speeds. He keeps yep. his dribble alive really well. He was great at – against Ohio, he, he probed that defense so well. Like he got inside, yeah. right, right side of the floor, ne- left side of the floor. He didn't take a single shot. I noticed that he didn't take a single shot against Ohio that, like, was forced. Like, they yeah. he took all, all the shots that he took in that game. He wanted to take. He just missed them. Like, there sure. was nothing yeah. that – n- It never felt pressured. For we'll sure. Continue. Totally agree. Yeah, I think so. from a different – differences standpoint, Marcus plays – Marcus is better at playing at different different speeds than, than Jalen mm. is. I don't even think it's close. Mm. And I wonder mm. how that might affect Gonzaga because their, their defense is very uh, – it's very aggressive. You know what I mean? They're tough to score on inside because they don't let you get there easily. And then they try to turn you over and get out and run that way. Um, and and the way, and then I think, I think some of their offense makes their defense a little bit better because they're so good offensively that you'll force stuff on your end of the floor to try to keep up with them. And it's not necessarily what their defense is making you do. It's almost what you're making yourself do. So I think if Creighton just like stays composed They'll be able to score at will on this team. I mean, like seriously, at will because they're going to get to all the spots they like to get to, and they're going to get good. That's what I, I. That's why I'm saying stay composed though. Yes, they will. They're going to give. They're going to give them fool's gold in the first half, where it's like they'll probably give. I don't know, like Denzel easy pull up too, like mm-hmm. all game, right? And it'll probably hit the first one, and they'll keep giving it to him. Yeah. But it's like no, 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 just chill. Let drive and kick to hit into three like right. that one will be open too you might not have known that in the first drive around but like that one's open too better shot mm-hmm. but i think in terms of the what kind of <laughs> scares me about the jalen and marcus matchup is you said this about the teams and i thought this about this matchup specifically is it's jalen does not have to play great for gonzaga to win this game no marcus has to play great for creighton wins yes yeah Hundred percent. Marcus has to play the best game of his career. Like, like Jalen could play 
terribly all game long. And then like the BYU game have two or like whatever it may be, have two yeah. crazy leak out dunks. Yes. And then he's like, oh, I'm here. And yeah. then he starts locking up. And then it's like, mm-hmm. that's how, that's how dangerous they are. Yeah. Oh yeah. So dangerous. But at the same time, at the same time, if it's, it's a, it's a big if, but if, if Jalen is off and Kispert's off, that's enough to, to beat them. Oh, that's easily enough. Yeah. I mean, Timmy probably will still kill you. And I, I, you will get, you know, we'll that's make fine. up some, we'll make up some of the difference. Timmy, Drew Timmy they're not, that's me. what I mean. They're not a very deep team. They've, they've only gone like seven deep this whole tournament. And even the but seventh is, guy is barely playing. So, but this is, they where show you right, that though. that starting five, they show you who they are. And this is where you're right, though. Let Drew Timmy kill us with twos. We'll take that ball out the rim so quick, and CB will be so gone so fast. Like, they can only kill us with so many twos, so many yeah. layups in there. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. unless it's a rhythm where they're hitting like, post up then they get in transition and mm-hmm. then they're hitting maybe getting a, like keep attacking the rim maybe hit a pull up here and there like mm-hmm. unless it's that if it's really like just try to pound in they're trying to pound in drew timmy i'll live with that that's a game sign me up because i see creighton wins that game in my head nine times out of ten if you're if trying you, to if, yeah so if yeah if you can keep if you can keep suggs and kispert contained on the perimeter and just yes make, make them have to go through the post to beat you yeah yes that, that sounds yes. right yeah because if none of their wing players feel like, oh, I can get my shot off like I normally can, like it off any of these guys like normal, I can create space, I can get by my guy. Mm-hmm. If two of the three don't, if two of the three feel uncomfortable, we're in a good place. Yeah, that's what right. we're in a very good place. Yeah, make two of the three have to really, really work that day. Because mm-hmm. um, I, I just think, I think honestly, Gonzaga's defense is rated better than Creighton's, but I think Creighton makes deep makes is capable of making people more uncomfortable than Gonzaga is. They don't really protect yeah. the rim that well. Yep. Um, they don't have, like, shot erasers. I think I actually think, weirdly enough, like, when you look – I know you don't, people don't think this of Creighton, but I think Creighton is better at protecting the rim than Gonzaga is. I would agree. I mean, like, Ohio and yeah, – You know, I wouldn't agree <laughs> anybody else because they ranked Creighton as the – on. I saw the – whatever it was on uh, CBS. Uh, pop, the power said, rankings, yeah. Yeah, the, yeah. of the last 16, they said Creighton was – and this is what I'm glad you brought up because they said Creighton was – the last at rim protection. And I don't know what metrics or what stats they were using. They did? Yes. Uh yes. let me see. Or actually, no, no, no. I don't I don't know if it was last, but it was in there. Yeah, because Christian Bishop, Christian Bishop alone, um, Ohio and US, UCSB were 31% at the rim against him, five of sixteen. Overall, they were 17 to 39 against Creighton in general. So that's even 44%. That's garbage. Mm-hmm. At the rim. If you're 44% at the rim, you're you're just – that's horrible. Like yeah. not even a, that's not even a tournament team finishing at the rim. So that's so – that's whoever said that, not, like, is utterly talking out of their ass because that's not even accurate. Don't think that that's what I'm saying. So Yeah. And the other, part of, Creighton, the other part of it is, you know, you know what else is the funny part? Is, like, Creighton allowed UCSB and Ohio to they – they held them to 44% at the rim. Creighton themselves were 73% on the other end. So, like, mm. that's the thing with Creighton. is like they make it hard for you to do what they do best. So, they, they're a rim and three team, right? And they can, and then the pull-up game with Marcus and Denzel is and, – and DJ's uh, little fadeaway mid-range. Like, that's the other part of it. Um, but the rim and three component of this, of this whole deal, I, if it gets – if they get into a rim and, rim and three game with Gonzaga, I'm just saying, I feel like that's what Creighton is going to win. I'm okay with that. Yes, I'm okay I, with that. Yeah, I'm, I'm very okay with that. Right. 
Rim and, that, and that's my point. So that, that's why I'm like, if they want to rim in three with Drew Timmy, or I'm, I'm cool if we do that with CB. I'll, I'll take CB every time with that one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If, if, this, if Christian stays out of foul trouble guarding him, I think that we, he, I, think, I, think, I think Timmy's going to. Do we know the rest for this? Game? I don't think so we, we ever know complain, the rest until. So we can off. effectively <laughs> complain after. So. I don't think we ever think know we, until tip we'll, we'll have to look them up. On, yeah. We'll have to look them up before tip off so we can know who we're going to complain about. Instead of the refs this week, I think I'll call them by first name. God, I hope we don't have to complain about refs in this game. I just want it to be fun. No, you have to. Come on. You have to assume. Like, it's reverse psychology. Assume oh, gonna, I see what you're saying. Yep. Yeah, got you. I pick it up. Assume yeah. that we're going to, like, complain about them. And then during the game, we can just give them. Oh, oh they're be pleasantly surprised. I got you. All right. I'm picking, picking it up. All right. Well, this is a fun episode. I'm glad we got to talk to Flan and uh, and talk about Paige and Caitlin because I'm so stoked for so for that. I don't. I honestly don't. It's Gonzaga Creighton and then it's Paige Caitlin. Like one. Oh yeah. One wait. A, like, the last thing I needed to say before we get off here is the swag bags for the women's NCAA. That was also very unacceptable. There is no reason. I'm sorry. There is no reason in the world that they can't get the same swag bags that the men get. There is no reason. I don't understand that. Why they can't yeah. get the same sneakers? Why they can't get the same masks, socks, all of it? That, that's just on a, it. Weight room aside, like I, I'm not. I'm just the swag bag for that. Didn't the, didn't the, didn't the men get like deodorant and like soap and like deodorant? All like like what the, what, what, yeah, they yeah. got that too, but way lesser like quantity, which I don't understand. Like for, I mean, I, I don't know. I get it. Where if you want to say it's. I actually don't get it. If you want to say it's about like the men bring in more money, stop. You could for swag bags. I guarantee women's NCAA makes enough money to equal out those swag bags. Yeah, and it's their own I, merch. It's their own merch. Exactly. The, yeah. Right. Why and not? I just think to the point you brought up before about whoever like didn't like uh, the optics of it. Clearly, no one cared like at the beginning. And I think that needs to be changed too. I don't know. I just have a huge problem with that. I think. Yeah. I mean, really screw the op- screw the optics. Like you had a you had one little weight bench for sixty four teams. But that's what I'm saying. I just yeah. I just think there's just there was too much with the swag bags. There was way too much. Uh, so much could have been done for that. And I think yeah, they just there was, there was some someone didn't care. And I'm not trying to call anybody out or anything. I just think that there just needs to be more awareness brought to that issue as well because sure. that's just unexpected. I've seen I played AAU all growing up in the EYBL circuits. Man, the women's EYBL gets more gear from making their tournament than that was. And that's seriously like, that's, yeah, yeah. That's up. yeah. And so like, I think that, and, and I've seen girl like women I know who play at division one, who have even said the same thing. So that's where I'm getting it from. But I just think it should really that that's unacceptable. And I think there just needs to be more light shed on that. So 100%. I had to give my, I had to give my pitch. Yeah. Some of it is like, some of it is like not important, but some of it at the same time, the whole situation, that, the, that whole, the, whole, the whole picture is disrespectful when you look at the, the whole picture. Like if you isolate, yeah, if you want to talk about it says women basketball on the court and then some of the courts have uh, different three-point lines because they didn't, you know, they didn't fix them in yeah. time. They didn't get their NCAA courts in there, you know. <gasps> Sorry, excuse me. Got the hiccups all of a sudden. But uh, you, when you get yeah, fired up. Maybe if you isolate, quality, yeah, if you isolate that part, <laughs> if you get fired up for a quality, I Uh When uh, – when you isolate that part, yeah, maybe it's not that big of a deal. But when you put it all together, it's hu- it's a huge deal, and it just shows the lack of like the lack of respect that they give. Yeah, it's very it's, it just it's is. disrespectful. It needs to change. That was I just needed to say my piece on that one. Oh, we're that not done. We're not. We're we're, we're not. We're just scratching the surface on this one. We're not done. Oh, absolutely. So, uh, Wait till after the season. These people are gonna get <laughs> sick of us. I know. <laughs> 
<laughs> I, hey, we told stay him a tuned, long time people. ago. Stay tuned. We said a long time ago we're done being reasonable about this stuff. Um, oh, so I you know it. what you get into. But hey, Jordan, appreciate you. It was cool having Flan on. You, and cool picking his brain. Um, all right, this uh, screen the scrub. I don't know what episode this is. Like fourteen, fifteen, something like that. So we're getting into, we're getting into it. Gonzaga week episode. That's what it is. Yeah, Gonzaga week. We're going for blood. Right. Three sixteen episode. Paige Caitlin, straight fire Saturday at noon Central Time. God's time, Jordan. Central Time. Let's do it. Let's uh, do ABC, it. be in front of your televisions. That's going to be straight fire. Um, yeah, we'll be then, on Twitter. We'll be on Twitter. Fire oh, tweets off at us. Fire tweets, yeah. Uh, and then Gonzaga Creighton on Sunday, 1 o'clock, CBS, Hinkle Fieldhouse, Marcus Zigarowski, Jalen Suggs, Mitch Ballack, Corey Kispert, Damian Jefferson, Ayayi, like Bishop Timmy. Woo! Let's do it. Let's do it. Let's go. Thanks, everybody. 316, baby. Here we come.